The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mr Richard Fuller. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to Sapper Elijah Bond from 35 Engineer Regiment. He died at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, Birmingham, last Thursday as a result of wounds that he had sustained in Afghanistan. He was a dedicated and highly professional soldier, and at this tragic time, we should send our condolences to his loved ones, his friends and his colleagues. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Richard Fuller. Mr Speaker, may I associate myself and I'm sure all members of the House with the Prime Minister's words about Sapper Elijah Bond. Mr Speaker, the people of Bedford and Kempston will be disappointed that this week's report into the financial crisis in the Royal Bank of Scotland contained no provision for the criminal prosecution of the executives, directors, regulators and ministers for their failures. Can the Prime Minister assure me that unlike the last government, his ministers will reinforce financial regulations and not undermine them like the Shadow Chancellor did when he was in office? friend is, is right and he will know that we are looking at specific extra measures, at sanctions in terms of what people on the board of RBS did. But it wasn't just a damning report about the board of RBS, it was also damning of the politicians who were responsible for regulating RBS. And it didn't just name, it didn't just name politicians no longer serving, it also named the Shadow Chancellor. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Sapper Elijah Bond from 35 Engineer Regiment. He bravely gave his life trying to improve the lives of others, and all of our thoughts are with his family and friends. And Mr Speaker, as we approach Christmas, our thoughts are also with all of our troops serving so bravely in Afghanistan and elsewhere. Many will be spending Christmas away from their families and friends to ensure a peaceful Christmas for us and we owe them a huge debt of gratitude. Mr Speaker, in this, the last Prime Minister's questions of the year, let me remind the Prime Minister what he had to say in his New Year message of 2011. He said this, uppermost in my mind as we enter the new year is jobs. In light of today's unemployment figures, can he explain what's gone wrong? Well, first of all, let me join the Right Honourable Gentleman in his fitting tribute and right tribute to our forces at Christmas time, serving in Afghanistan, but also serving in other parts of the world. One of the things that most strikes you in this job is that they are the best of the best. They are brave, they are courageous, they are dedicated, and their families give up a huge amount at the same time. So I join him in saying that. But let me say about the unemployment figures, any increase in unemployment is bad news and a tragedy for those involved. And that is why we will do everything we can to help people back into work. That is why we've got the work programme that will help two and a half million people. That is why we have the massive increase in apprenticeships that will help 400,000 people this year. And we'll give particular help to young people through the youth contract and through the work experience places. We will do all we can to help people back into work. But Mr Speaker, the figures show his economic strategy is failing. The the Chancellor said at the time of the spending review last year, and I quote, 
private sector job creation will far outweigh the reduction in public sector employment. Will he confirm that over the last three months, for every job being created in the private sector, 13 are being lost in the public sector? Let, let me give him the figures since the election. Since the election, there have been 500 in the in the private sector. There have been 581,000 extra jobs in the public sector. He's right. We have lost 336,000 jobs. So we need private sector employment to grow even faster. But let me make this point to him because I think this is important. Whoever was in government right now would have to be making reductions in public spending. Now, the only way you can keep people in work in the public sector while doing that is to cut welfare, something we are doing and he opposes, is to freeze public sector pay, something we are doing and he opposes, and is to reform public sector pensions, something we are doing and he opposes. So it's all very well standing there and complaining about the rise in unemployment. If you don't take those steps, you'd lose more jobs in the public sector. I think the whole House will have heard that he cannot deny that the central economic claim that he made that the private sector would fill the gap left by the public sector has not been met. He has broken his promise. And today's figures confirm also that youth unemployment not only remains over a million, it's still rising, and long-term youth unemployment has gone up by 93% since he made his New Year pledge on jobs. Isn't the reality that he is betraying a whole generation of young people? We won't take lectures from a party that put up, that put up youth unemployment by 40%. That is the case. Even his brother admitted the other day that youth unemployment was not a problem invented by this government. It's been going up since 2004. But let me explain what we're doing to help young people to get a job. Through the youth contract, we're providing 160,000 new jobs with private sector subsidies. With the 250,000 work experience places, half of those people are actually getting jobs and getting off benefit within two months. That is 20 times more effective than the future jobs fund. But the absolute key to all of this is getting our economy moving. We need private sector jobs. And, and it, is, it is this government that has got interest rates down to 2%. That is why we have the prospects of growth, whereas his plans are for more spending, more borrowing, more debt, more of the mess that we started with. Mr Speaker, the truth is that his promises to young people for next year are as worthless as the promises he made in 2011. Now, let's turn from his broken promise on jobs to his broken promise on the coalition. Uh, and Mr Speaker, let me say, it's good to see the Deputy Prime Minister back on my this, this is what he said. This, This is what he said in his New Year's message for 2011, and I'll place a copy in the Library of the House, Mr Speaker, just so everyone can see it. This is what he said, coalition politics is not always straightforward, but I believe we're bringing in a whole new style of government. Mr Speaker, there's more, no there is more, there is more. 
a more collegiate approach. <laughs> Mr Speaker, I'm bound to ask, what's gone wrong? <laughs> I will answer. I will answer. Look, look, no one in this House is going to be surprised that Conservatives and Liberal Democrats don't always agree about Europe. But let me, let me reassure him, he shouldn't, believe, he shouldn't believe everything he reads in the papers. It is, no, it's, it's not that bad. I mean, it's not like we're brothers or anything. is with the Deputy Prime Minister. His, his partner goes on a business trip, he's left waiting by the phone, and he hears nothing until a rambling phone call at 4am confessing to a terrible mistake. Now, now let me ask him, how is he going to pick up the pieces? How is he going to pick up the pieces of the bad deal he delivered for Britain? The Council came to conclusions on Friday morning, but the treaty is not going to be signed until March. In the cold light of day, with other countries, with other countries, some very, very foolish person shouted out, stop. The person who did that will stop because people in this place must be heard. If there's a member here who doesn't think so, I invite that member to leave the chamber. Mr Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, in the cold light of day, with other countries spending the weeks and months ahead, trying to see if they can get a better deal for themselves, isn't a sensible thing for him to do to re-enter the negotiations and try and get a better deal for Britain. First of all, I make no apologies for standing up for Britain. Now, I, think, I think in the last in the last two days, in the last two days, we've read a lot about my opinions. We've read a lot about the Deputy Prime Minister's opinions. The one thing we don't know is what would the right honourable gentleman have done. While he was here on Monday, his aides were running round the press gallery, briefing them that he wouldn't have signed up to the treaty. Well, here's another try. What's your answer? I, I have no answer on this matter whatsoever for the benefit of the Prime Minister. The order! Order. I'm glad the Minister of State has returned from his travels. We wish him a Merry Christmas, but in his case, it should be a quiet one. The Leader of the Opposition. <laughs> Mr Speaker, there was a better deal for Britain that he should have got, and that is what the Deputy Prime Minister himself says, Mr Speaker. Now, here is the truth. Last week, he made a catastrophic mistake. This week, we discover unemployment at its highest level for 17 years. Mr Speaker, this Prime Minister thinks he's born to rule. The truth is, he's just not very good at it. Even the soundbite was recycled from a previous PMQs. So on Wednesday, the answer was no. Today, I think the answer is maybe. This leader of the Labour Party makes weakness and indecision an art form. That is the fact. Now, he was giving me my end of term, my end of year report. Let me give him his end of, end of year report. 
He told us at the start of year in his New Year's message, the fight back started in Scotland. Well, that went well, didn't it? He told us he'd have credible plans to cut the deficit. We still haven't seen them. He said he would stand up to vested interests, and yet he backed the biggest strike for years. We all know, we all know he has achieved one thing. He has completely united his party. Every single one of them has asked Santa for the same thing, a new leader for Christmas. I'm sure government backbenchers will want to hear their own colleague, Mr Martin Vickers. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Yesterday's announcement about local uh, television was good news for my constituency, where Channel 7, the sole survivor from the original batch, uh, is based. Does the uh, Prime Minister agree that uh, local broadcasting strengthens local communities and advances the big society? And if he's in North Lincolnshire in the near future, would he find time to pay them a visit? Um, I'd be delighted to do that. Uh, I don't have any immediate plans to visit North Lincolnshire, but I do support local television. And I also think that uh, North Lincolnshire had some very good news with the Siemens plant going into Hull, and I think that's excellent news for the whole region. Mr David Blunkett. Mr Speaker, in the, uh, in the early new year, the Government intend to announce a wholesale revision of the national curriculum. Could I put it to the Prime Minister that it would be perverse, in fact it would be absurd, to be requiring those coming from abroad to settle in Britain, to learn about our democracy, to take citizenship courses, whilst withdrawing them for the teaching of citizenship and democracy to our own children in our own schools? I listen very carefully to what the right honourable gentleman says because I actually agree with some of the proposals he put forward when Home Secretary about citizenship and I think many members in this House would have been to the citizenship ceremonies that he was responsible for and I think it's been a good addition to our country and our democracy and on behalf of the whole House I pay tribute to him for that. We look very carefully about what he says about the curriculum but the key aim has got to be to make sure we teach the basics properly and well and we test on those basics because if you can't read and write properly, no lessons in citizenship are going to mean anything at all. Sir Justin Tomlinson. Mr Speaker, 91% of people who get into financial difficulty believe they would have avoided doing so had they been better informed. Therefore, ahead of tomorrow's debate on financial education, would the Prime Minister support our calls for compulsory financial education for young people? Well, it's very much links in with the last question. I'm strongly support, I strongly support uh, teaching young children about the importance of financial education, but the point of having a proper review of the curriculum is to make sure what is absolutely essential and core and what, what can be included as extra lessons. Yvonne Favag. Unemployment is going up and living standards are being squeezed. Many more people are being forced into the hand of the payday lenders and the fee-charging debt management companies. Will the Prime Minister act to protect ordinary people who are being preyed and ripped off? Well, the Honourable Lady speaks with great experience because she worked for Citizens Advice Bureau before coming to this House and stands up for Citizens Advice Bureau and is right to do so. All of us in our constituencies know what a brilliant job that they do. Uh, She will know the last Government wrestled with this question about how you best regulate uh, doorstep lenders and other lenders and the danger of driving people into the loan sharks if you get rid of the regulated sector. I'm very happy to discuss this further with, with interested colleagues. It is a very difficult subject to get right, but 
this government is working at it. Simon Wright. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister share my concern over the impact of pocket money priced alcohol on the state of our nation's health, the antisocial behaviour in our town centres and the damage it does to our community parks? No, I think the honourable gentleman makes an extremely important point. There's no doubt in my mind that the very low-cost alcohol is part of the problem in our town centres. One of the answers the government has already come up with is to ban deeply discounted uh, selling of alcohol. But of course, we need to look at the broader question of low-cost alcohol. I note very carefully the letter that's in the papers uh, this morning from a whole set of people with great expertise about this, and we're looking very carefully at that issue. This is Jenny Chapman. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, this morning we learned that Teesside Airport is up for sale, and it seems as though as unemployment is skyrocketing in the northeast, our planes may be grounded. Isn't this yet further evidence that the loss of infrastructure and jobs in the northeast, that this government's economic plan is a catastrophic failure? Yeah. Well, the key thing about the future of Durham at Tees, uh, Airport, which is a vital airport, is not necessarily who owns it, but is it being invested in? Is it being expanded? Is it working well? That is the key question, and that is the question I know my right honourable friend, the Transport Secretary, is looking at carefully. Cheryl Murray. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Has the Prime Minister seen the OECD and the National Institute of Economic and Social Research findings this week? Um, showing that soaring immigration was not caused by the prospect of prosperity, but just by the open-door policies of the last government. And will he stop it happening again? The Honourable Lady is, is absolutely right. The report said specifically the increase in net immigration to the UK was not driven primarily by the economic performance of the UK or other countries. Instead, it points to immigration policy. And the fact is, under the last government, they quadrupled immigration. They let an extra 2.2 million people into the country. The answer is to deal with the bogus colleges, and we're doing that, yeah. to put a limit on economic migration from outside the EU, and we are doing that, and to have proper border controls and a border police command, and we're doing that as well. John Robertson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The autumn statement saw 400,000 Scottish children lose over four, uh, £40 million pounds due to changes in the tax uh, system. In my constituency, that meant £600,000 taken from children. Why is the Prime Minister taking money out of children's pockets and while being in the pockets of the bankers? I'm afraid to say to the Honourable Gentleman, he's, he's just plain wrong. The actual the child tax credit is going up by £135, and he talks about the bankers. It's this government that has actually put in place a bank levy that's going to raise more every year than Labour's one-off bonus tax raised in one year. Julian Sturdy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As a York MP, I'm extremely proud of our city's vibrant tour tourism sector. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that tourism plays a key role in our local economies? And will he ensure that northern tourist attractions are, in particular are promoted in the run-up to the Olympic Games? Yeah. I think my honourable friend makes a very important point. There are going to be millions of people coming to this country for the Olympic Games. We need to encourage them not just to go to the Olympic Games but to visit other parts of the country and to return to Britain for a subsequent visit. And there will be all sorts of promotions and schemes that we will be running to encourage just that. If we could encourage people more generally to visit other places as well as London, and York has many great tourist attractions and things of historical importance to see, we'd drive a huge amount of jobs and growth in our regions. Rush 
Clara Ali. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. On the 16th December, Bangladesh will mark its 40th anniversary as an independent nation following a war that cost three million lives. I want to pay tribute to the contribution made by this parliament in supporting the people for their fight for liberty and self-determination. As the second most vulnerable country to climate change, with an estimated 15 to 20 million people likely to be affected in the coming decades, does the Prime Minister agree with me that it is now more important than ever before to support developing countries from the devastating effects of climate change. Yes, I absolutely agree with the Honourable Lady and I think uh, the whole House should recognise uh, what, what she's done in raising this issue at this time as Bangladesh approaches this important anniversary. I think Britain can be proud of the fact that we have very good relations with Bangladesh and our aid programme in Bangladesh is now one of the leading ones anywhere in the world, uh, from anywhere in the world into that country. We're spending specific money on helping them with climate change, meeting all the promises that we have. Uh, I've met myself with the Prime Minister of Bangladesh. One of the issues we do have to raise, though, is there are human rights issues uh, in, in Bangladesh, and we shouldn't be scared of raising them with the authorities in the proper way. Philip Hollobone. Uh, an EU-wide agreement on prisoner transfers comes into force this month, which will enable the UK to repatriate to jails in their own country any EU nationals imprisoned here. Given some 13% of our prison population is made up of foreign nationals, will the Prime Minister ensure that our EU partners stick to these new rules and take their criminals back? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, um, uh, with, with my honourable friend and his strong views asking a question about a successful EU scheme, it really must be Christmas, so uh, it's uh, very welcome. He's absolutely right. We have... Um, we have 13% uh, of our prison spaces are taken by foreign nationals. This is hugely expensive, and this EU-wide agreement gives us great opportunity to return people uh, to, their, to their national prisons and save money at the same time. Mr Bob Ainsworth. Is freezing the pay of young privates and corporals while they are fighting in Afghanistan without reference to the Armed Forces Pay Review Body a breach of the military covenant. Well, it is this government that doubled the operational allowance, which I think is the best way, the best way to get money to the privates and the corporals in Afghanistan who are doing such a good job, because of course the operational allowance, being a flat cash amount of money, is of disproportionate benefit to relatively low-paid people in the armed forces, whereas obviously a percentage increase would mean more money for the generals and the colonels um, and the brigadiers, rather than for, actually, the people on the front line. So I think looking at the operational allowance is crucial, but this government hasn't just done that. We've extended the pupil premium uh, to forces children. We've actually increased the council tax rebates for those who are serving. And for the first time, we've written the military covenant into the law of our land. Chris Kelly. I commend my right honourable friend for protecting our national interests by exercising the veto last Friday. The people of Dudley South thank him for it. The deal he vetoed commits Eurozone members to restricting structural deficits to below half a percent of GDP. Did the Prime Minister appreciate that this is 16 times the UK structural deficit left by the party opposite? Yeah. I think my honourable friend makes a good point, which is perhaps why the leader of the Labour Party is struggling so much to tell us what his view is about this proposed treaty. Because on the one hand, he wants to join the Euro if he's Prime Minister for long enough. On the other hand, he wants to sign a treaty with his incredible... Oh, that's rubbish. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be Prime Minister for long enough. Oh, right. <laughs> 
He wants to join the euro. He wants a deal with very tough budget deficit limits, and he wants to increase spending, increase borrowing, and increase debt. He tells us he's got a five-point plan. I can sum it up in five words. Let's bankrupt Britain again. Speaker, perhaps the Prime Minister could tell us why the Deputy Prime Minister did not support his position on Europe on Monday and why did not one single Liberal Democrat MP vote with the Prime Minister last night? Yeah. Well, well, last night there was uh, something of a parliamentary rarity, which was a motion put down by an opposition party praising the Prime Minister. I'm very grateful uh, to colleagues in the Democratic Unionists. Um, I suspect that, that many, many people concluded that Labour simply wouldn't get their act together, it wasn't worth voting, and as a result we won very easily. Richard Drax. Thank you, thank you Mr Speaker. I am sure the whole House, I am sure the whole House will join me in thanking a remarkable man who has served this country and this place with courage and distinction for nearly 50 years. Eddie Mackay, who is in the gallery right now, has been a doorkeeper here for 23 years and retires on Tuesday. Before coming to this place, he served with distinction with the Scots Guards, leaving after 23 years service as a senior warrant officer. In the Household Division, you are not promoted to drill sergeant unless you are exceptional. On Tumbledown Mountain, he saw action during the Falklands War in 1982. His company, G Company, 2nd Battalion Scots Guards, led that successful and audacious night assault. Can I ask the Prime Minister, on behalf of us all, to wish Drill Sergeant Andy Mackay a happy retirement and a happy Christmas? Yeah. Can I, on behalf of the whole House, thank the Honourable Gentleman for raising uh, this issue and this question, and on behalf of the whole House, very much uh, thank Andy for his incredible service. I, I do sometimes think in this House we can take for granted the people who work so hard to keep it working, to keep it going, and I sometimes wonder what they think of all the antics we get, on to, get up to in this House, but we're incredibly grateful after an incredible service he gave to our nation to come here and work so hard for so many years. We are all in his debt and send him good wishes for his retirement. Yeah. Kevin Barron. The publication of youth unemployment figures this morning show that in the last quarter, 22% of 16 to 24-year-old economically active uh, uh, citizens are unemployed, an increase of 1.2% on the previous quarter. The Prime Minister's ranted earlier today at question time about what this government's doing uh, for youth unemployment in this country. Could he tell us why it's increasing? Well, every increase in youth unemployment is unacceptable. And let me, I'll tell you exactly what is happening. In terms of 16 to 18-year-old young people not in employment, education and training, that number is actually going down. But the problem, as he rightly says, is people over the age of 18, under the age of 24, who are finding the job market extremely difficult. The reason that unemployment is going up is because we're losing jobs in the public sector and we're not growing them fast enough in the private sector. So we need to do everything we can to get our economy moving. The absolute key to that is keeping our interest rates low. We have interest rates now at down at 2%. And if we followed his party's policy of extra spending, extra borrowing, extra debt, interest rates would go up, more businesses would go under, and we wouldn't get our economy moving. George Eustace. 
Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Many members of this House will have encountered examples of banks using the threat of receivership to extract new charges and higher interest rates from their business customers. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that it is wrong for banks to use what is effectively an extortionate bargaining position in this way? And would he agree to meet with me to discuss some of the proposals I have outlined to limit the power of receivers and to require banks to obtain a possession order before selling up small businesses? Yeah. I am very happy to meet with my honourable friend about this issue. It is absolutely vital that we, not only we get our banks lending properly and lending to small businesses, but also we make sure that they behave in an ethical and proper way as they do so. We are addressing the first issue in terms of the quantity of lending through the National Loan Guarantee Scheme and the other credit easing measures that the Chancellor set out in the autumn statement, but we also need to make sure that the practices that the banks follow are fair and seen to be fair. They have an interest in making sure that small businesses are in good health and they need to follow those sorts of procedures to make sure that happens. Mr Russell Brown. Thank you Mr Speaker. Uh, Youth unemployment in Dumfries and Galloway has risen by 65% over the last 12 months and with the British Retail Consortium indicating that almost one in three jobs uh, are filled by under 25s, does he recognise that the predicted squeeze on the retail sector will only increase the chances of youth unemployment increasing across the entire country. Well, the thing that would put the biggest squeeze on the retail sector is if interest rates went up. Just one percentage point increase in interest rates would see the typical family lose £1,000 a year through extra mortgage payments. So look, everybody knows we are in a difficult economic situation and we have to take difficult decisions as there is effectively a freeze across the Eurozone. But the most important thing is to keep those interest rates low so that people have money in their pockets and we can see some, some good retail recovery. David Rutzler. East Cheshire Hospice and many other hospices across the country run uh, Christmas tree collection services that help many families recycle their Christmas trees in an environmentally sensitive way. Can the Prime Minister join me at this festive season in supporting the great work that these charities do in collecting these trees to raise hundreds of thousands of pounds for the important work of our hospices? I certainly join my honourable friend at this time of year particularly in praising the amazing work that hospices do. Many hospices don't receive a huge amount of government funding. They have to be very ingenious about how they raise uh, money from, from people up and down the country and collecting and recycling Christmas trees so that we don't just uh, uh, leave them outside the house but do this thing properly I think is an excellent idea and I'm sure the whole house want to join me in praising the work that hospices do, particularly at Christmas time. John Cryer. Mr Speaker, the uh, Prime Minister has been promising legislation to create a register of lobbyists for the past 18 months, but nothing's actually happened so far. Will he either give us a publication date for a consultation paper leading to legislation, or he could take on my 10-minute rule bill, which is already published, and I'm a generous sort of bloke, so he can have it now and get it on the statute book? Well, I'm a generous sort of bloke too, so I can tell him that the the lobbying proposals will be published within the next month. And so this government will have moved faster in 18 months than the last government did in 13 years. Adrian Sanders. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister will have seen the news this morning of the study in the excess deaths of people with diabetes, unnecessary deaths if the condition is treated correctly. The National Service Framework uh, for Diabetes comes to an end in 2013 
uh, will the Prime Minister look at NSFs as a way of meeting the challenges uh, that there will be on the health service and the health service budget and helping people with diabetes in the future? Well, I'm very happy to look at the, 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 the national service frameworks, as he says. I think the key issue with, with diabetes is both we need to raise the profile of this condition because many people uh, have it and don't know they have it, but the key thing as well, I think, is to look at the public health issues because the explosion in diabetes is coming partly from uh, bad diet and obesity in childhood, and we need to address those issues, otherwise we're always going to be dealing uh, with the disease rather than trying to, trying to look for the prevention. I'm in a generous mood too, and it's always a delight to listen to my colleagues, so we'll have a little more. Anne McGuire. Thank you very much, uh, Mr Speaker. Earlier this week, in the other place, the Coalition Government voted down a proposal to protect the benefits of disabled children by a majority of two. Can I ask the Prime Minister that by reducing benefits for disabled children by over £1,300 a year is something that identifies his often repeated mantra that we are all in this together? Well, first of all, we are not cutting benefits to disabled children, and actually, we are upgrading, we are uprating by 5.2% all of uh, those benefits so that people will see an increase in the benefits that they receive next year. Last but never forgotten, Mr. Brian Binley. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister will be aware that capacity levels on the West Coast mainline are intolerable and getting worse. Does he share the concerns of rail users that that delays to high speed two will only make their journeys more unpleasant? And will he provide the assurance they seek about the future he promised them? Well, I'm grateful to my honourable friend for raising this question. Clearly, the country has a choice. Because the West Coast Main Line is as um, uh, uh, congested as it is, we need either to replace it with a traditional uh, line or a high-speed line. It's well known the government's view is that a high-speed line is the right answer. That's why this consultation uh, has been conducted. And I think it's not just good for people who want to use the West Coast Main Line, but also it'll be a successful regional policy in linking up our great cities, shrinking the size of our country and making sure that all parts of our country can enjoy economic prosperity and growth. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.